0: Good morning, everyone. It's uh, really great to be with you. As uh, David said at the intro, I um, am based in Brentwood, uh, an elder there at the church, Emmanuel Church, Brentwood, one of your partner churches in this area. So it's great to be able to come and, and help out here. Uh, and to speak to you from uh, God's word in Genesis chapter 48, a really amazing passage, actually, as we're going to see together. Um, I bring apologies from my wife, Natalie, who was really excited about coming here. Um, I think this was our third attempt, um, thwarted once again, um, because my youngest one has got a bit of a temperature. So she's at home with, with my, my youngest one. I am here with my eldest, uh, Eden. So it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you, Adie, for as well, for praying uh, for us. Let me ask you this question as we start However young or old you are, look back at your life, I know it's a big question, what's your verdict? You look back at your whole life, you might be really young, you might be really old, you might be somewhere in the middle. You look back at your life, what's the verdict? I assume for most people there's real highlights, real positives, achievements, maybe it's career, uh, house, children, really great things to look back on. But I'm sure for most of us as well, there's lots of pain to look back on as well. Disappointments, heartache, maybe illnesses, maybe death uh, of those around us. Maybe broken relationships. And maybe that's been particularly the case in the last couple of years with COVID. We've been surrounded by maybe more pain, more isolation. For all of us, as we look back at our lives, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? How does that affect your verdict on God? that's what I'm interested in this morning and that's what our passage will be talking about today. In a world of mixed bags where there's pain and suffering alongside joy and happiness, does that affect your view of God? Do you feel basically God has let down his side of the bargain? And a good question to ask yourself is what would your message be to your children? You know, I know it's a bit of a morbid thought, but imagine you're on your deathbed, final words to your children, what would those words be? Is it worth bothering with this God of the Bible or should they really back another horse? What's your verdict on your life? What's your verdict on God? Well, that's the question we're going to be looking at this week as we're in Genesis 48, uh, because we're with Jacob on his deathbed and he's got final words for his children and his children's children. Now, uh, we're in Genesis. If I said Genesis, I don't know what stories would pop into your head. Is it Adam and Eve? Is it Noah? Tower of Babel? Noah? What else we got? we got uh, Abraham, all the favourites. I doubt any of you would say, oh, I love those, uh, that story right at the end. Uh, Jacob on his deathbed, chapters 48, 49 and 50. It's often neglected, isn't it? Um, and that's where we're going to be today. It's within the broad uh, section of chapters 37 to 50, uh, which is what became of Jacob's family. That's what we, get, what we what we're told in Genesis 37, verse two. And in a minute, I'm going to read uh, Genesis 48. It's within that that story of what becomes of Jacob's family. It's often known by people as Joseph's story. Now, it is a lot about Joseph. He is kind of a, a star player in the story. But it's actually what becomes of Jacob and all his sons. You probably know the broad brush of the story. Uh, Let me kind of give you a bit of a recap that teases us up to our passage this morning. Joseph is the favorite son. He's the one with the fancy coat. Uh, His brothers hate him. Uh, They basically sell him off into slavery. They want him dead. Um, Quite a few years later and uh, a few deciphered dreams later, he becomes prime minister of Egypt. And he actually manages with uh, God's revelation to save Egypt from starvation and saves uh, the whole region, uh, can come to Egypt for food. And that's what leads his brothers to return to Egypt. And again, some toing and froing backwards and forth. And then finally they are reconciled with Joseph and the whole family is brought to Egypt um, and the whole family is saved. But that's not where the story finishes. If it did, Genesis would end at chapter 47, but you still have 47, 48, 49 and 50. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 48. We're going to see Jacob on his deathbed with Joseph, his son, and with Joseph's two sons. And it's always interesting, isn't it, to listen to people's last words. They usually tell us something about what really matters to them, what's really important. So please open your Bibles to Genesis 48. I think it's on page 41 of the Black Church Bibles you've got in front of you. And I'll read Genesis 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Joseph said to, and Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The Lord before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, "'Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. "'Put your right hand on his head.' But his father refused and said, "'I know, my son, I know. "'He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great.' Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. So let's see what's going on in this chapter. As we said, it's Jacob on his deathbed. We know that he's at the end of his life. In verse one, we see your father is ill. And even in his own words, verse 21, he says, behold, I am about to die. He's looking back at his life and he has a message to pass on to his son Joseph and to Joseph's two sons as well. In a minute, we're going to see what that message is, what that verdict is. But before that, we need to see that Jacob's life was also a life of a mixed bag. Jacob, who is interchangeably called Israel in this chapter, he talks about his life as a mixed bag. If you're taking notes, that's the first point this morning. His experience, life um, is a mixed bag. It's interesting, isn't it? On his deathbed, there's plenty of event, events from his life that he could choose to talk about, but he draws out two in particular. Look down at verses 3 and 4, and then we'll look at verse 7, as these two key events Jacob wants to draw attention to. Verse 3 and 4. Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Wow. Jacob received that promise from God that had been originally given to his grandfather, Abraham, then passed on to his father, Isaac, now being passed down to Jacob. I mean, I think we'd all want that promise, wouldn't we? A whole multitude of nations coming uh, from you and a whole land as an inheritance forever. But hang on a minute. Firstly, he got that promise when he was actually on the run out of that land. If you were to go back, um, I think it's in chapter... 28 you would see that God made that promise as Jacob was running away from the land on the run from his brother who wanted him dead and also if you think of the specifics of the promise God promises him a land and yet they're in the wrong place aren't they they're actually in Egypt as they as they're speaking so you know yes they have a strip of land that's mentioned in verse 22 a mountain slope in Canaan but that's hardly the whole land isn't it It's a real mixed bag when it comes to God's promises. It's only partial fulfillment that Jacob can reflect on. And similarly, on the topic of the family, he's told a whole multitude or company of nations will come from you. But yes, there's positive, isn't there? If you look at verse 11, Israel says to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. So there was pain i thought i'd lost my son but now i'm reunited with him that's joy but are they yet a multitude of nations no there may be 70 people at most and they're in the wrong place again it's a mixed bag and the second episode i think is the same theme you look at verse 7 jacob wants to tell joseph about this he says as for me when i came from padan to my sorrow rachel died in the land of canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. on the return to canaan Uh, when he was reconciled with his brother. Was his return marked by a triumphal entry? No, it was the most bitter pain of all, the, the death of a beloved spouse. So Jacob looks back at his life and it's not been a bed of roses. It's been joy, moments of joy, moments of intense pain. There's been a real tension there between, on the one hand, God's amazing promises and the bitter reality of life's pain and struggle. We'd have to say that in his own lifetime, Jacob didn't see anything close to the full fulfillment of God's promises. And this is where I think we have something in common with Jacob, don't we? And it's quite comforting to see that in the Bible, it's not just a walk in the park. For these people, intense pain alongside joy. We too live in a world of mixed bags where there's pain and joy side by side. And we too are waiting for God's promises to be fully fulfilled. The Christian life is a life of already and not yet. In that sense, we're in a similar position to Jacob. So Jacob has lived this life of of a mixed bag, intense pain alongside joy. What's his verdict going to be then on God? And we're going to see that in verses 15 and 16, which are like the core verses of this chapter, that his verdict is amazing. It's a glorious verdict. It's uh, amazing, actually, from a man who has such poor eyesight, we're told that in verse 10, that actually he sees things remarkably clearly. Let me read verse 15 and 16, and we're going to see Jacob's verdict. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, Bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. The verdict that Jacob reaches, and he wants us to reach as well today, is that God is the faithful shepherd who redeems from all evil. Let me just unpack that for us. That's in verses 15 and 16, but I want to just unpack that. Firstly, Jacob wants to tell us that God is faithful. Well, how does he teach us that? Well, look at verse 15. He says, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. So it's generational. He can look back at two generations before him and see God faithfully walking. And these two, his his grandfather and his father faithfully walking with a faithful God. And also he can say uh, he has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Every day of my life, God has been faithful to me. It's been said that this is describing God as reliable. And maybe on this point, actually, older Christians are a better place to reflect on this. You know, maybe after today, talk to someone here or call someone up who's been a Christian for a few decades and ask them, has God been reliable with you? How has he been reliable? How has he been a faithful God? Jacob can look back at his whole life and his father's life and his grandfather's life and see that God has been faithful. Secondly, God has been a faithful shepherd Now, shepherd is a term that is used often in the Bible to describe God, isn't it? But this, as far as I can tell, is the first time it comes up. Uh, In the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings, this foundational book, Jacob looks at God, his God, and says, you are my shepherd. And it takes one to know one. You know, Jacob had flocks. Um, We know that he himself was a shepherd, so he knows exactly what a shepherd's job is. And he says, that's what God's been like with me. The shepherd looks after the sheep, protects them, feeds them, rescues them when they go astray. And did you see that he doesn't just say in verse 15, a shepherd, but my shepherd. So in the first point we said God has been reliable, we could also add he's been relational, my shepherd. And thirdly, he's my shepherd who redeems my life from all evil. Now, if you see that in verse 16, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil And you might be asking, if you've kind of been looking closely, why does verse 16 start with the words, the angel? Surely this is talking about God, isn't it? Did did God run out of steam and have to rope in an angel to help him out? Is that what's going on here? No, (laughs) that's not what's going on. And it's actually helpful if you were to look back at chapter 31. There we have uh, God appearing to to Jacob. And in the dream, uh, the angel of God said to me, that's verse 11 in chapter 31. And then the words of the angel are, I am the God of Bethel. So angel of God and God himself is used interchangeably or synonymously in certain parts of the Old Testament. And that is telling us that it may be that God did use an angel specifically to protect Jacob's life. Uh, We don't know that for sure. But what we can say for sure is that it's not an independent force, a, a sort of third party agent. You know, God does this, but the angel does that. So Jacob can look back at his life and can say that God has redeemed his life from all evil. Now we need to say what this is not saying. What is the text not saying? It's not saying God has spared me from all evil. I think if I was writing the Bible, that's what I would want it to say. The God who has spared my life from all evil. That's what I'd want the Bible to say. No, Jacob says he has spared me. Not spared me, but redeemed me from all evil. And the word evil here actually encompasses a real breadth. It's not just moral evil, you know, nasty things done to me, but also harm, you know, situational evil, illness, death. And you could hardly say, could you, that Jacob's life was spared harm. We've just seen that even in the last few verses. But if you were to look through the whole section, chapters 37, and even before that, you can see all the pain he's gone through. Some of it self-inflicted. But he can say that God has redeemed him from all evil. Now, what does that mean? It means that God has worked these things, even these evil, harmful things, into something good in his life. In fact, the word redeem actually presupposes that you take something not great... And you transform it into something much better. Think about redeeming a slave. You're sort of paying the price of the slave is no longer a slave. Slave, not good, redeemed into a free man, much better. And that's what we're talking about here. Evil situations, harmful situations, transformed by God into something better. And they really have been. Again, this is why it's so helpful that this chapter comes at the end of the story. Because as you read through those chapters, you see that God has been in control at every step of the way yes jacob thought he'd lost his beloved son joseph and that would have been intensely painful but little did he know that this was part of god's plan to save the whole family in the long run all his other sons also preserved despite their folly and their sin now you might be thinking at this point that's all very well for jacob it all worked out in the end uh, but what about for me what about for us well Here we need to kind of zoom out and see the Bible's teaching on these same themes. And we're not in the same situation as Jacob. We come post-Jesus. But the Bible picks up these themes. You know, Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms, uh, sections of the whole Bible. What does David say about the Lord? The Lord is my shepherd. And he says something similar. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so there is still evil and harm in the way. I will fear no evil for you are with me, my shepherd. But even more than that, we see this fulfilled amazingly in the person of Jesus, our Lord. Jesus uh, describes himself as the good shepherd. That's why I asked for John chapter 10 to be read. And what is so good about the good shepherd? That he lays down his life for the sheep. That is what Jesus did for his sheep. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? A shepherd willing to die for the sheep. That's what Jesus did for us. He is our good shepherd. And also the theme of redeemer, is one that comes through the whole Bible and it's fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus Himself is our Redeemer. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom is the same idea as redeeming. You win back something, you pay the price. That's what Jesus did for us. And could I ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 3, please, where we're going to see all these ideas come together. In Paul's words, Galatians three verses thirteen and fourteen. As I read these two verses, listen out for the almost the sort of the echo of what Jacob said on his deathbed being reiterated and expanded for us today. Galatians three thirteen Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Isn't that amazing? That Paul can say that Jesus, he redeemed us, he won us back. He died on the tree, so we don't have to. He wins us back. And through that, what do we get? The blessings of Abraham. Well, that's what Jacob was on about. Jacob was talking about the blessings to his grandfather, passed on to his father, passed on to him. And it goes through the generations, through the centuries, passed on to us too, who trust in Jesus. Isn't that amazing that we can see ourselves, even in what Jacob is saying on his deathbed? We too receive these promises that were given to Abraham and passed on. We get them through Jesus. So, what are we saying? Well, we're not saying that God promises to spare you from all harm. In fact, if there's any Christian message that tries to say that, you know it's a lie. It's nowhere in the Bible. There's no promise, no guarantee of of no harm by following Jesus. But you do get the guarantee of having a shepherd who will walk with you every day, every day of your lifelong to this day, as Jacob says. He promises to carry you through this whole life and into the next. That's really what Jesus is interested in. The ultimate good that Jesus wants for your life is to take you through and take you through to the next life to be with him. That's the ultimate good. So the overall message from God's word in Genesis 48 so far is take the shepherd's hand. Jacob can say the Lord has been my shepherd every day. Do we have the same testimony? Do we have the same verdict about God? And if you're not a Christian here today, you would say that Jesus is not your king, your shepherd. Today is the day to turn back and accept the hand of the shepherd. He went before you. He died to win you a place in heaven, to give you a restored relationship with God. Are you accepting that hand from that shepherd? Take the shepherd's hand in life and in death. Now, there's loads more we could say from this chapter, so please go back to chapter 48. I want to make one final point. We're not going to spend any time talking about the hand-switching episode. Feel free to come to talk to me about that afterwards. What's going on with the hands? Uh, Suffice to say that I think the main point of that is it's kind of about reversals or surprises. We want God to do things one way. Joseph wanted it to be done one way, but God has another idea. And we see that actually all the way through the Bible. We see that a lot in Genesis. God has his way of doing things, which is not always our way. But there is one final application I'd like to point to before we finish. And it's one that tells us how Jacob would want us to live and how God wants us to live. Did you see that verse 16 is actually directed at these two boys? Do you see that verse 16, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil... Bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What is that all about? Let my name be carried on. Is this Jacob just having a bit of an ego trip? You know, I want to make sure that even when I'm gone, I want the name to be big. Well, it's actually helpful to think about who these two boys were. So we know that Joseph is Jacob's son. He is probably the second most powerful person in Egypt. He's had these two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. As far as we can tell, they're probably 16, 17 or 18 years old at this point. Just think about them. Sons of the prime minister. All the wealth imaginable is at their disposable. All all the best opportunities, the best schools, the best friends, everything. And then when they turn 17, 18, they hear about their grandfather coming back over from this place, this random place, Canaan, the nomads traveling back, complete weirdos, why would they want to associate themselves with these guys i mean they've got everything the land has to offer and that's what jacob is telling these boys he's saying here is a reliable god who will be with you every day of your life trust in him it doesn't mean you'll avoid harm but you will be kept whatever happened through life through death so throw your lot in with this god and with his people And again, I think this is maybe where we have a lot in common with these two guys. It may be that we have uh, money on our side. We may have youth on our side. We may have career relationships. Is that what we're putting our confidence in? Jacob would say, no, throw your lot in with this God. That is something reliable. I mean, if you think for a minute about the confidence you might place in your job, that could go. Your wealth, that could disappear your youth, that will go eventually. Um, anything you can think of that the world has to offer is, gives you no confidence uh, of eternal security. This God, the God of the Bible, does. It reminds me of Jesus' words, what does it profit a man to have the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So let's come to a close. Let's think about where we started. You're looking back at your life. You might be very old, very young, somewhere in the middle. You've probably experienced a mixed bag. That was the case for Jacob. It's the case for us. How does that affect your verdict on God? Is it worth going all in for God? You know, think of life as a, as a you know, poker table. Is it worth going all in for God or is that just far too reckless? Actually, Jacob would say, no, that's the only reasonable thing to do. In fact, the reckless thing is to put your backing on anything else, money, health, career, education, vaccines, whatever. No, God, he is the faithful shepherd. He redeems your life from all evil. That was the case for Jacob then, many years ago. It's still the case for us today. And all the more so, actually, now we know that Jesus is our good shepherd who died to save us. He is our redeemer. He has guaranteed us a place in heaven if we will only reach out and take the hand of our good shepherd. So let's do that today. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these words recorded from Jacob on his deathbed and how they teach us such wonderful things about who you are as our God and our King. And all the more so in Jesus, he is our good shepherd who died to save us, uh, to guarantee us a place in heaven if only we will hold out, take the hand of the shepherd. Lord, I pray for each person here today in the mixed bag of life, the ups and downs, the intense pain as well as the moments of joy and happiness. Lord, keep us trusting Jesus as our good shepherd. Amen.